Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, again, good evening. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on this Good Friday evening. We've come to be present with Jesus and his suffering and death, to remember it, to encounter it and its meaning afresh, to bring our questions, our sorrows, our fears, our griefs, our disappointments, our anxieties, and our sin and brokenness to him, to his cross. And we're here to pray and worship and to watch and wait for the third day, to celebrate and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, the crucified one, the Son of God. We want to use John chapter 18 tonight to help us to focus. We're going to focus on Jesus and his arrest in the garden. We're going to use three phrases that he uses uh, in the garden as he's betrayed to just help us focus in on being fully present to him, to his cross, and this moment. I just want to stop for a few seconds and just invite us to be fully present. You might be sitting here thinking, whether you believe it or not, look, I've heard this story my whole life, and we've kind of become numb to it a little bit. Maybe you feel like with all of the kind of quarantine stuff we've been doing, you're on a bit of autopilot and Netflix and your phones, you've just kind of gone numb to input and information. Well, I'm going to stop and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit's presence and pray for us that he would help us be attentive to Jesus and his cross and to his word tonight. And he actually might speak to us and release something powerful in us. So Holy Spirit, we wait on you. We invite you to come, rest on us. Would you bring us to life where we're just a bit numb, where we've tried to take in so much information through our phones and TVs? And Would you allow us to just drink deeply from God's word and from meditating on our beautiful Savior who went to the cross? So we pause now for a few seconds and we quiet our hearts before you. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to begin by looking at verses 1 to 4 of John chapter 18. And the first phrase I want us to focus in on comes from verse 4. And Jesus says, who do you want? Who do you want? When he'd finished praying, Jesus left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Well, John in his 
gospel account of Jesus shows us Jesus at his most vulnerable but still fully aware and in control of the situation. We know from the other gospels that in the garden he spent time praying, asking his friends to pray and watch with him. And we know from Matthew's gospel that he was full of anxiety, sorrow, stress, and probably even fear. He also experiences in the garden the betrayal of his closest friends. Matthew tells us he checked on them three times, and each time, instead of praying for him and with him, he found them fast asleep. Stress, anxiety, betrayal, disappointment, and fear, incredibly vulnerable. Luke's gospel even says that during prayer, his emotional state was so extreme that he sweat drops of blood. We'll see Jesus emerging from prayer, strengthened. Again, Luke's gospel says that an angel had come and strengthened him. And now he emerges and he meets his betrayer, Judas, one of his closest friends and followers. Verse 4 says, knowing all that was about to happen, Jesus doesn't run. He knows what's coming, but he moves forward. He steps into the coming situation. In a world of cynicism and fear, where most often we try and avoid pain and difficulty and responsibility, Jesus steps boldly into responsibility, even when he knows the cost. He steps forward and he begins the sequence of events that leads to the cross. He does it in strength. He does it in control because he's already decided to lay down his life. We saw that in John chapter 10, where he declares that he has decided to lay down his life. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He, much earlier in his ministry, he'd already decided he is the good shepherd. He will lay his life down for the sheep. I'm choosing this. No one else can lay a hand on me unless I decide it, and I do decide it, and now is the time. That's the picture John is painting of Jesus as he steps forward and he says, who is it that you want? In a world that seems out of control, he's very much in control. The crowd replies, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What's, what's happening here? Well, in verse 5, when he says, I am he, uh, this, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And in Greek, that phrase would be ego, a me. And it simply is, I am. Uh, in English, we would say, I am he or I am. But in Greek, it's simply I am, which so many of you know is the very name of God, uh, in Hebrew, Yahweh revealed at the burning bush to Moses, I am who I am. And this is Jesus stepping forward and simply saying, I am. I am he. I am the living God. This is the God of the universe declaring that he is working salvation for his creation, including for you and for me. And why did they all fall down? Well, I think the power of the living God, it, it it leapt out of him at that moment. It could not be contained as he declared his name to them and it knocks them back. And it's also John choosing to, to portray it this way to demonstrate that Jesus is in total control. That no one could do anything to him unless he allowed it 
to happen. He is voluntarily laying down his life for the sheep. Judas couldn't stop him. That mob could not stop him. In the other Gospels, he says to Peter, I could call on legions of angels if I chose to do that. No, he is choosing to lay down his life for you and for me and for creation and all who call on his name. He's choosing this. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together, loving, saving, and delivering. And Jesus steps forward to lay down his life. How does that make you feel tonight? That Jesus is choosing this, that he is in control. No one's choosing for him. He's not press ganged by God the Father. He's not surprised by Judas's little ambush in the garden. He knows who he is and he knows his mission and he knows what he's chosen to do. And without fear or resentment, he steps forward. He chooses his lay, to lay his life down in love. And he shows us what love is. I think tonight as we look at the garden and we look at Jesus and we look at the, his coming cross, he's asking us, who is it that you want? Who is it that you want? My question to you and to me is, do we want him tonight? Do we want to earnestly seek and follow him? Do we want to willingly respond to him by surrendering our lives to him and following him intentionally? Not just praying a prayer once and hoping for the best, but laying down our idols, receiving his life and kingdom, and intentionally surrendering our agendas to his agenda and his life. He chose you. Will you respond tonight to him? Whether you've followed him for your entire life or you're watching this and you've never ever responded to Jesus. The next phrase that I want us to focus in on from the mouth of Jesus in the garden is let these men go. Let these men go. So after they get back up, Jesus again asks them, who do they want? And they reply, Jesus of Nazareth. He then tells them to let his followers go. I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. That's a reference to John chapter 6 when he spoke out and said he will not lose any that the Father has placed in his care. He will not lose those who are in his care. At the first Good Friday, he didn't lose any of the disciples who were in his care. Even though it looked bad and it was going to get worse and it was very, very bad, he had them. In the moment, he had them and he had them forever. And tonight, this Good Friday, nothing has changed. You are in his care if you're following him. And you are not lost no matter what you are in the midst of, whether that's disappointment and fear, and hopelessness, or exhaustion, whether you're struggling with addiction, whether you're struggling with your faith, whether you're wrestling with sin in your life, whether you're just simply overwhelmed by unsolvable problems, whether you just can't face any more of the unsolvable problems that coronavirus has presented us with, from loss of your job and income to unbelievable pressure on you in your business, 
Um, maybe you've been ill or you are ill and you just can't face it. You need to know that nothing has changed. He had the first disciples in his care and he absolutely has you in his care tonight. He was in control of the events on the first Good Friday and he's in control of events on this Good Friday. And where do you need to turn to him in prayer even right now? In our current moment of enforced isolation, so many of us, myself included, have turned towards uh, social media, uh, news, our, our phones, Netflix, and other distractions. And they're not bad in and of themselves, and we should certainly be thankful for technology and the ways that we can connect. We're all together tonight in this church service because of technology, so we should be thankful for us. But these things can also push us towards fear and panic and hope, hopelessness, can't they? And they can simply just push us and bombard us with information so that we rely on our own resources to try and face life and to face our problems. And what if tonight, what if tonight we turn towards Jesus, who has us in his care, and in key moments, like right now, we turned away from Netflix, we turned away from our phones, we turned away from social media, not in a denial of reality, but in a, as a faith-filled response to Jesus. That despite what I see, despite the troubles I'm in and I face, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to receive your love and care. I'm choosing to rest in the fact that I have not been lost. I have not fallen out of your hands. You are keeping me, Jesus, and you will keep me secure forever, even through trials worse than these that we're facing now, and even at the hour of our death. Jesus will be with me, and Jesus will welcome me, and Jesus will not lose us from his care. Whatever Good Friday you are enduring right now, there will be an Easter. Jesus didn't lose his disciples, and he won't lose you. Lastly, the last phrase comes from verse 11. Uh, as a result, Simon Peter, it's always Simon Peter. Uh, he has, uh, verse 10 tells us he had a sword, and he drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup? The Father has given me. And that's the phrase I want to focus on last. Shall I not drink the cup? Well, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? To drink the cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God poured out for sin. Jesus is intending to go to the cross. He has decided to lay down his life for us. And tonight we not only reflect on how he hasn't lost any of us, but now that he chose us, that he chose to drink the cup for us, he chose the cross willingly, and he chose to give his life as a ransom for many. All of us who were lost in sin and brokenness, far from our creator, in Jesus we are brought near to God. We're brought back into his family, cleansed and saved and forgiven and made right. The penalty for sin, the cup was drank fully by Jesus, willingly to save you and to save me. St. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 3, writing many years later about this 
event on Good the First Good Friday, he makes it clear that we have all sinned and not measured up to the holiness and glory of God. But the way to peace with the holy and righteous God is through freely receiving what Jesus did for us on the cross. Paul says that God put forward Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, his blood atoning or paying for, covering over our sin. Jesus pays a debt that we cannot pay, and that is at the heart of the gospel, that not only have we fallen short of the glory of God and owe him a great debt, Jesus in love lays down his life to pay our debt. And Paul finishes that little section by saying God acts in this way so that he is both just and justifier. He's just because he holds the world accountable for sin and brokenness. And as you look at the world tonight, don't we want someone to hold the evils of people and the evils of the world to an account. You know, instinctively, we all want that, especially when evil and sin touches our lives. We want someone held to an account. We want someone to pay for the wrongs in the world. And to be just, God can and must call all to an account. Wrongs must be dealt with. No one wants to live in a world where there is no justice. And if we're honest and we have a look at our own lives tonight, the Holy Spirit will shine a light and and show us how we have fallen short of God's goodness, love, and righteousness. At the cross, that first Good Friday, God has proven just where he pronounces judgment over sin and systemic evil, and it all must be paid for. He lets no one away with anything. But Paul says he's not just just, he's also a justifier. In other words, he demands justice, but at the same time, in love, provides the payment. He passes judgment and then stands in our place and lets the judgment fall on himself. At the cross, God the Son paid our debt. He stood in our place and bore the penalty himself, both just and justifier, in order that any of us who believes in Jesus and receives him in faith is forgiven and saved forever. God here acts in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together to defeat our great enemies, sin and death. Jesus says to Peter, shall I not drink this cup? knowing all that was about to happen to him. He chooses the cup, the cross. He chooses you. The author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it for the sake of joy, completing fully the plan of God, the joy of saving us, the joy of a kingdom full of worshipers like me and you, lovingly rejoicing in being part of God's family, loving him and loving one another, renewing the earth alongside him forever. That was the joy in his heart. That was, that's the picture of joy that he had, that he went forward in total control and went to the cross and drank the cup. Will you embrace what Jesus has done for you? Will you embrace that he chose you, that he hasn't lost you, that he willingly drank the cup for you and bore what we could never bear?
You're safe and secure in his love and his presence. And it's time to embrace his life without fear. In this sermon series we've been doing through Lent called Open, we've been trying to open ourselves as much as possible to embrace the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit loves to do is to gently make us aware of our sin and bring conviction and lead us to Jesus in repentance for the big things and the small things. He lovingly shines a light so that we can be made right and renewed in the presence of Jesus through repentance. And tonight we are being led to the cross by the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is sh- where is the Holy Spirit showing us where we've wronged others? Where is the Holy Spirit showing us where we've actually had wrong patterns of thinking? Where is the Holy Spirit showing us where we have rejected Jesus? We've been disobedient or we've even rejected people in our hearts and in our actions. What parts of our lives is he highlighting and inviting us to bring before Jesus that we might confess our sin and receive his gracious mercy and forgiveness and be washed clean all over again? Most of us run from conviction because it feels bad. Well, the truth is it's a grace. It's a mercy. It leads us to the cross where we can be made clean and made free and welcomed back into the family of God. Where is he bringing conviction into our lives, showing us where we've missed the mark and leading us to Jesus for his mercy? For those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, you know, we can become inoculated to this a bit, can't we? Where we can justify old patterns of sin that just keep going and going and going. We can just kind of be like, well, I've prayed about it. I've tried. Maybe this is just who I am. And we can kind of put it over to the side and just let it run for a while. And I'm probably not going to get any more healing or freedom in this area. It's just who I am until Jesus returns. Well, what if tonight the Holy Spirit is shining a light on those things? And what if the Holy Spirit is shining a light on the cross? And instead of being inoculated to patterns of behavior that have been part of us for a long time, what if he is gently leading us to Jesus? What if he's shaking us up? The world is being shaken up right now. Where is he shaking us up? And I would implore you to have a soft heart and respond to where the Holy Spirit is showing you Jesus, showing you your sin and inviting you into a new chapter of freedom in your life with him. For those of you listening to me and you have never put your faith in Jesus, you've never responded to him. I want to tell you tonight that he's reaching out to you. And again, where worlds are being shaken. I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing men and women and children and young people to Jesus to come to his cross and find life and to acknowledge what he has done for you and all that he now has for you. He's not distant from you. God is not distant. He is very, very near. He is actually with you now. And the Holy Spirit is drawing you to begin life with Jesus. And if you feel abandoned, well, Jesus knows how you feel. He was abandoned by his closest friends. And he even proclaimed from the cross that he felt abandoned and forsaken by God the Father. If you felt that way, Jesus is available to you and can meet you in your deepest need. If you feel weak tonight, Jesus in the garden needed strengthening from an angel 
and received it. So Jesus knows your pain and your weakness and will meet you in it. If you feel betrayed, Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends. If you've ever been falsely accused, Jesus at his trial was nothing but falsely accused. If you have suffered physical violence, Jesus isn't a distant savior that watches you and what you suffered from afar. Jesus went to the cross and was brutally tortured with some of the most physically violent acts humans can dream up. If you suffered physical violence, you have a savior that knows what you suffered and is reaching out to you and saying, I have life for you. I have healing for you. I have recovery for you. I have strength and stability for you. If you suffered the loss of everything, Jesus was stripped naked. Everything was taken from him as he was placed on the cross. He knows what it is like to lose everything. If you feel far from God, Jesus felt far from God on the cross. And if you tonight, you feel lost in darkness of life and coronavirus and everything that's stacking up against you, you need to know that Jesus was laid in a tomb and laid in darkness awaiting resurrection. He knows what it's like to feel like your life has been entombed in darkness. He's a savior that has felt all that we have felt and experienced and more. And he's a savior who's waiting for you now to wipe your slate clean, to bless you, to forgive you, to restore you, to help you, to serve you, to save you, and to welcome you into his family and his kingdom and to hold you in his hand now and forever. He died for you. He wants you and you can come to him tonight. So all of us, whether you've never begun, became a follower of Jesus or you've been following him all of your life, I want to invite all of us to pray together and to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I receive you. I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I come to you and believe you paid it all on the cross and I thank you for it, and I receive it from you. Come and fill me now that I might love and serve and follow you. Change me, help me, save me today and forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to hear from you. You can leave a comment on our social media pages, or you can just email me directly, andy at belfastcityvineyard.com. I want to hear how you've begun to walk with Jesus and how you've placed your faith and hope and trust in him and reached out to him. And, I, and I'd love to pray for you and connect with you. Um, I think that's amazing. And I am so delighted that you've chosen to take that step. For others of us who've been following Jesus for a long time and you joined in and prayed that prayer, I want to hear from you as well. Email me, andy at belfastcityvineyard.com, how God has broken in and shaken you up and led you towards repentance and washed over you afresh. I want us to end tonight by simply just saying, God bless you. Keep seeking Jesus. And as we watch and wait for Easter Sunday, we eagerly anticipate his resurrection. We'll be together again Easter Sunday morning, half past 10. Join us for the service. God bless you and good night. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.